Welcome to the Freedom Chasers podcast, where we bring you interviews and discussions that share the stories, successes, goals, and dreams of real estate agents and real estate investors pursuing a life of purpose and freedom. Today, we are here with Corey Thompson with Roughneck to Real Estate. Thank you so much for joining us, Corey. We'd love to just kick it off with a story. I know you have an amazing one, probably, because you are absolutely crushing it down there in Texas. Could you start off with your greatest horror story or um, transaction going wrong, we'll say? Um, I don't know. I mean, I don't, I, don't, I don't really have that kind of mindset. I don't think about those kind of things. Um, we lost 20 grand on a flip very early on. And I listened to somebody and they said, you know, just, just chalk that up to uh, tuition and move forward. And I mean, it really is a mindset thing. Like I don't, any lesson that I learn or any hard lesson that I learn is one that sticks. So, um, you know, we've had people die in units. We've had people commit suicide in units. Um, we've had murders in rental units. Um, all of it's a little bit different, you know. Um, but would, I mean, the murder was probably the worst one cause it was a baby that was murdered and, um, it was the first death we had in a unit. So we were, I was just sitting there, it was Thanksgiving and a friend of mine sent me a screenshot and was like, Hey, isn't that y'all's my Walmart? park? And I was like, yeah. And the news was in front of it. So that's how we found out. Um, and you know, it's a hard deal because Obviously, it was the father that did it. Um, the remaining tenants were the mother and grandmother. And you just, you're like, do I evict these people? How does how do we do this? You know what I mean? What, what's our next move? Like, they're already dealing with a lot. Um, they're probably not the kind of people you want to live in your mobile home park. The neighbors were a little upset. Um, but ultimately, we decided to keep them and let them live there. They lived out their lease and then they, they moved and moved on. But, you know, that was kind of bad. And the worst part about that probably was that we had called CPS several times with just child protective services. Um, and they just, it was just a, the way that the way the people were living, it was like a multi-generational family living there and it was just always dirty. And um, we just always felt bad for the kids that lived there, but you know, they didn't supply us any, any relief. Um, and that was an inherited tenant that came with the property. So anyways, that was probably the rough, roughest one um, as far as what sticks out with that question. But, you know, as far as like bad real estate transactions or losing money or anything like that, I, you know, none of them really have a negative vibe. Um, you know, I, I, I enjoy every one of those lessons. Yeah. Kind of interesting how you, your perception of things. I mean, like, People view stories that are would be considered far less crazy as the craziest things they've ever experienced. Your mentality towards it is, hey, it's just another day in the office. So you mentioned the word rough. Your company is Roughneck to Real Estate, right? Can you explain how that name came about? Yeah, I used to drill for oil. So I was a, a, a Texas oil man um, for 13 years. So I'm 38 years old now, um, up until I was 31, 32 I drilled for oil. I was laid off in 2015, spring of 2015, had some money saved up and started trying to flip houses to supplement an income. So I lost a job where I was making 30, $35,000 a month. Um, 
working 14 days out of the month. So I was as rich as a human being could be with time and money at that age. And and had been doing that since I was 23 years old. So um, no formal education. I have a GED. Um, and it was just one of those things where I was like, you know, my friend uh, had lost his dad in a car accident and had a set amount of money to get his mother through the next 30 years of life. And he'd been researching real estate. And he said, hey, do you want to come? Help me find some rent houses um, to buy with my mom's money. And I was like, yeah, we'll do it. And seven years later, this is this is where we're at. So the Roughneck to Real Estate was kind of, you know, I'm a, a, a talkative person. And so people started putting me on stages and stuff. And one of the emails that they, they sent out said, you know, he went from Roughneck to Real Estate and we started a Facebook group called Roughneck Real Estate and just kind of built a brand around it. And that's what the R2R is everywhere. So, yeah. So, and you own like 200 plus houses now, I think Tim said. And when in 2015, what, what did your portfolio look like then? Uh, I don't know. We did the very first week we were in real estate. I bought three houses cash. So we went to an investor networking event and they were trying to explain to us how to fill out a contract. And I was like, no, man, I got this guy. He's, he's got it on Facebook. He'll take 10 grand cash. I got, I, I brought the money. Here's the money. I'm going to hand him the money. Does he hand me a title? Yeah. What happens next? <laughs> and uh, they're like, no, you don't want to do that. You want to fill out this contract, go to a title company, like all this. And I'm like, no, 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 you don't understand. He wants 10,000 cash. Here's the cash. What's the document he needs to hand me back when I hand him the cash? Is it a receipt, a bill of sale? <laughs> What is it? And they're like, they're like, no, you don't want to do it that way. And I'm like, all right, man, y'all don't seem very aggressive. So I'll, I don't, I'll, I'll just, I'll, I'll ignore what you said and go give this guy some money and see what he gives me back. You know, worst case scenario, I got to go make another 10 grand. Cause you got to understand Texas oil money is easy to make. (laughs) Right. You know what I mean? So I'm like, easy come, easy go. I'll just go make more money. Yeah. So anyways, um, we bought three though, bought three and, and, you know, I never will forget like, like about my fifth trip into a title company. I'm like, I guess we just got to go to one of these places every time. Like, this is strange. Real estate works strange because we bought one of them off of auction.com. The other one off of the USDA foreclosure website, which if you Google USDA foreclosures, they, there used to be a bunch of inventory on there. Now they all sell at auction before they make it um, back to REO status. And uh, the other one we bought off of Craigslist. So knew nothing about lead gen, negotiations, comps. I was just like, my buddy sold a house for 70 grand in this town, not on the same side of town, not on the same street, not any of that. Just in that town, he sold one for 70 grand. I'm buying this one for 12. I don't see how I can lose money. And we ended up owner finance in that house. But long story short, um, we just jumped into it. I mean, both feet. Um, so that's what I remember about that year, but I don't remember a total number of units that we did. Um, you know, I think we were probably six or seven deals that year, um, and didn't buy a single rental at that time. It wasn't until, um, like winter when things slowed down that we started putting tenants and stuff that wouldn't sell. Um, and we still own all those houses and those are amazing houses. We bought them for like 10, 15 grand each and they're renting for seven, $800 a month. 
and and at the time it felt so bad you know it's like man we're really bad at real estate we're buying this stuff and we can't sell it so we're having to rent it out this is we're really <laughs> bad at this this real estate thing and uh, we went to the bank to borrow money when we ran out and they gave us a hundred grand more than we'd paid for everything and we're like oh that's the transaction that's what we need to do every time so anyways that's kind of how that grew i was trying to make active income because i had a thirty thousand dollar a month hole in my life and my buddy was trying to slowly acquire a good rental pro- portfolio. Um, and when those two things ran into each other, um, that's how you get to, I mean, at our peak unit count, we were at like 350 units. We've sold 150 units. Um, so now we're down around 200 assets under management um, is over 700 because we manage other people's portfolios. So anyways, yeah, we're pretty busy. Yeah, so this is just extremely impressive. So you say you get out there, you're like, we're going to buy some properties. You just run out there. You don't know what the hell you're doing. You buy three your first week. Um, One of our previous guests just said this, like, ignorance on fire is 100 times better than knowledge on ice. So my question for you is, were you always this aggressive in your approach, or is this something that you've kind of built up over time? No, it's just life. I mean... I grew up. I grew up in a trailer house. I mean, I, like statistically, I'm supposed to be a drug dealer or something. Um, this, I mean, this is just life. I mean, at 18 years old, I got a job making ten dollars an hour, and as soon as I realized there's another guy out there making fifteen, I wanted the fifteen. Um, as soon as I realized another guy out there was making three or four hundred dollars a day, I was like, that's the job I need. Um, and I aggressively pursued all of that. I didn't know anything about goals, but I knew I wanted more money. Um, I dated a woman that made half a million dollars a month, a month and didn't matter. Didn't matter if she did anything else. It it came every month. And, um, when I dated her, that's when I realized money isn't everything. Cause this was this, I mean, the free time that you have when you got that kind of mailbox money is a bigger detriment than being poor. So anyways, um, kind of shifted my mindset then, but still didn't have a clue about life. Like didn't understand how money worked. Didn't understand any of that. Uh, had a daughter right before I got laid off in the oil field. And, um, she was a year and a half year old, a year and a half. And I had custody of her and, uh, I had to go out here and try to figure this out and try to make money. Um, and so I didn't really have a choice. You know, I sold everything I owned. I moved into an RV. Um, once I moved into the RV, it's kind of survival mode and taking more and more action. And then when you finally do make money, you're like, I'm not going to blow that money. I'm going to go buy another 1500 or $15,000 rental and put somebody in it for 600 bucks a month. And I'll just do that with every dime I make for the rest of my life, you know, and hopefully eventually, you know, looking at the scoreboard won't change the score. So you just look up one day and you're like, all right, we got $80,000 a month coming in. Mm-hmm. That's healthy. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But in between then, you hire a bunch of people. So now we got 30 people on staff. Now I'm more invested into their kids and their families and their wealth than I am my own. I don't I don't necessarily I don't want anything. You know what I mean? I don't I don't need anything. There's nothing out there. I'm like, I'll just go work hard so they can have financial freedom so we can all enjoy it. So that's really what it is. Yeah. To kind of come back to the story a little bit. So earlier in the episode, you were saying that when the job loss happened, you were incredibly cash rich. 
and basically, you know, now no more income. And so that being said, like you kind of allude to also this concept of, of the struggle. So was that just a sense of like, Hey, I've got some cash in the bank, but now I have no source of income. And so we're going to play it really safe by going down into an RV or did it get really tight there? No, it was a, it was just kind of a, a thing that happened. Um, I mean, it's just random. A guy, one guy sells a giant ranch in our county and pays all the cowboys um, severance pay. So they're all looking for houses on land, and I had two. Um, so I sold those. And um, when I did that, another guy came to me and said, hey, I got this RV. You've got a vehicle that I want. I'll trade you. And we and we'd bought an RV park. So I was like, ding, ding, ding. Um, I'm homeless. I've sold all my houses to the Cowboys. And and now I got an RV and I own an RV park. This seems fairly simple. So it wasn't it wasn't it wasn't something that was planned um, by any means. And then once you get in the RV, I mean, you don't want to be at the RV. I don't know if you've ever lived in one. You're 400 square foot with a two year old. You don't want to be in there. You're like, all right, we better go out and figure something out. We better go out and find a house to buy. So um, I would do that, and I would go look up the pre-foreclosures, like the appointment of substitute trustee filings that happened that day. I would do that at the laundromat, stealing their internet. We're not stealing. They give it to you for free. But when I was in RV, I didn't have a washer and dryer, so I go to the laundromat. My daughter's two. She's out pushing around the carts that you move your clothes around in, and I'm banging out handwriting addresses on envelopes to put hand stuff letters in to send those to buy pre foreclosures. Cause that's the only real marketing I knew of. And I would not buy myself lunch unless I did a hundred of those a day. So it's like, you don't eat if you don't do a hundred. And so I just created all these disciplines that were really, you know, it's just more of a, more of a, like, how do I, how do I, how do I create structure in this chaos? Um, and my daughter went everywhere with me and that really was why, why I was popular on the, uh, anyways, that was why I was popular on the internet. I had my daughter with me and, uh, yeah, she's, she's a pistol and, you know, people saw it and they were like, you know, that guy's using his daughter for marketing. And I'm like, no, I cannot afford a babysitter. And, you know, Facebook gave me Facebook live. So here we are. So anyways, we had, we, the, the struggle was there, but it wasn't, it wasn't, wasn't like we were trying to downsize or any of that. It just lined up, the stars aligned and it made sense. Yeah. And so the story that you shared at the beginning with uh, handing the guy $10,000 cash, did that come after all those mailers or what was kind of the sequence of? No, no, $10,000 cash was first day. First day. Very first day. Yeah. Buddy calls me, says, Hey, we're going to, we're going to go buy some rent houses. I'm like, all right, not hard. Super easy task at my hand. So I go to Facebook. They have they didn't have marketplace then, but it was the pre-marketplace. Y'all got the buy sell trade mm-hmm. groups, mm-hmm. like the white trash wedding that's happening on the internet every day. You can right. buy like anything you want there. And I go there and I search houses and a dude's trying to sell a house for 10 grand. And I start that communication instantly because my friend told me we're gonna go buy houses. And so I it was a three one brick, by the way, slab house. Talking about a phenomenal house, I wish I still owned it. But, anyways, I, I I didn't know what we were doing when 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 I went to that meetup. I took my money with me because I assumed that when we go to this real estate meetup, they're going to tell me how to do that, and then I could just go do that when I left the meetup. You know, I'm like, I will know how to buy a house after I leave this. We're going 
you know, it says right here, learn how to buy houses with somebody else's money. The The topic was hard money lending. And anyways, it wasn't what I was expecting. They were trying to teach me how to do a contract. Had no interest in any of it. I just wanted to buy a house with my 10 grand that I brought with me. And that was, that was kind of how that started. All right. So, I mean, it sounds like you kind of hit the ground running a little bit. Like what kind of challenges did you face along the way towards the beginning? Uh, there was no, I mean, I ran out of money, mm-hmm. you know. I didn't understand leverage. Um, I borrowed $1,100 from my mom to close on my fifth house, I think, because I was so, I went flat broke. I had two credit cards, $12,000 limit. And I was like, I'm going to eat on these and use 100% of my capital in real estate. And uh, I, it, there was no obstacles. I mean, it, it wasn't hard to buy and find real estate. It, back then, it was everywhere. Go to Craigslist, it was there. You go to Facebook Marketplace, it was everywhere. So very easy to get a hold of real estate back then. Um, but the money was a little bit more of a challenge, I guess, because we didn't have a track record. Um, but now, you know, the money's not the issue. It's the inventory. So it's kind of, you know, it's flipped. Um, but yeah, that was that was kind of, you know. But even then, I didn't want to borrow a bunch of money because I couldn't afford to make the payments. So I was broke. I had two two credit cards with twelve grand. And when that was gone, I was going to be broke, broke. So anyways, I mean, we did pretty good. So essentially, take the money that came from the job. You buy some properties. You're, you're having a significant cash outlay because you're buying these properties. And then, then you realize, oh, crap. Like, I've spent all of my money on properties. And yeah, I'm getting some income, but it's not really enough to, to move the needle. So you're putting money on credit cards. And what happens after that? Well, we just... We figured out how to sell a property, you know, go broke. You figure out the next step. We figured out how to borrow money. We borrowed the extra hundred out, um, decided that was going to be the new model, um, sold my personal property and, um, another property on 30 acres that I owned, um, took that money, went and bought more properties. We're still operating basically all cash. Um, and you know, we figured out how to, how to fix something and sell it. We had a, we found a good contractor along the way. Um, and we started having success doing small flips and hotels, you know, um, properties that we buy and don't fix and sell, but didn't, we weren't doing that on purpose. We, we just didn't have the contractors and staff to handle it. So it was like, oh, we got to get something off our books. Let's see if this will sell. Let's call a real estate agent. Real estate agents come out there like, oh yeah, would y'all pay for this? We're like 40. Oh, we'll sell for 120 right now. And we're like, all right, let's go. You know, and, and then we. And then whenever you have those kind of successes, it's like, oh, uh, we're, we're, we're geniuses. We're gods. You know, we're untouchable. But we bought that one from a wholesaler. And that tells you how much he knew about real estate, which was nothing. That was his first deal. So, I mean, we've, we've, we've had ex- – the, the early part is even hard for me to even think back to because, um, you know, that wasn't the struggle. In 2018, we bought a multifamily property every month of the year and foobarred our books Fubard, we could not. We were unlendable by the end of the year. <laughs> there wasn't a bank that would touch us, <laughs> and that was a struggle. Mm. You know, unwinding that, like the little single-family homes, wasn't hard to get out of that bond. But when you own, you know, ten apart or ten mobile home parks and three apartment complexes, and none of them are stabilized and none of them are fixed, and you need Money to refinance the mm-hmm. yeah, well, you need to refinance the one that is stabilized and fixed so you can get the money to fix the rest. And you're explaining to the bank, Hey, this is, 
this is solid, solid math. And they're like, well, you know, you've got a global DSCR of negative 0.2 or whatever. And they're like, well, I don't know what that means. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like you're, you're extremely cash flow negative. And we're like, yeah, but we won't be as soon as you loan us this money over here so we can go fix this other stuff. So unwinding those transactions was, was, uh, was the hardest lesson it took. It, it slowed us down. Oh man. I, you know, we lost three years of our lives, um, three years of growth, um, three years. We had the skill set to do it. Um, we just didn't properly, we didn't have some, an, an entity that we're acquiring in an entity that we're stabilizing in an entity that we're refinancing in. Um, and so anyways, we didn't, we didn't, we didn't, we didn't structure that properly. Um, now we won't make that mistake again. Um, so anyways, that was, that was more painful. Yeah. So to get you guys out of that bind, did you guys syndicate? Did you bring on private money? No, we didn't. We didn't understand syndication. We didn't understand giving up equity. Um, we were structuring all of our private money as 12% interest only debt. Um, and basically what we did was we looked for equity on portfolios. And so the one move that we made there was we bought 57 units for $800,000. Um, we did that. There was a ton of equity on that portfolio. And then um, we had a business partner that was looking for a 1031 and we sold that to him. And so we just kind of did that. We did that transaction twice. He 1031 twice and we, um, and then we took that capital from the cell. We went and fixed all the other properties and then we disposed of them. And then COVID hit, COVID hit, we had a private money lender come and say, Hey, we need you to pay off 300 grand of this. And so we had 300,000 in cash reserves, but that was it. And so we had to pay it off. And then we drew down our credit lines, which gave us a couple hundred grand. Um, but this was like March COVID, April COVID. You know, who knows like what's going to happen? Yeah. Who knows what's going to happen? Um, so we listed everything at that point in time, and then everything started selling. And we're like, wait, wait, whoa, 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 <laughs> whoa! <laughs> we don't need to sell that bad. Right. You know what I mean? Um, so, anyways, it, you know, we we unwound that, but but COVID kind of helped us out. Um, helped us out a lot, really. I mean, inflation helped all market all real estate investors. Yeah, yeah. There was a market lift, and then there was a plethora of people that could work. So we we picked up a bunch of talent. Um, and we remodeled our 32 unit apartment complex that had been stalled out. It was our big, big project. We bought it for $200,000 and, um, we put probably 400 in it, four or 500 in it. And then we refinanced it. Um, we got $1.2 million in debt on that right now. So we pulled some money out, um, and, and paid off some bad debt and some accrued interest and some other things that were holding us back and it cleaned our books up. And, um, this year has been our first year of being 100% solid ground, um, lendable, you know, um, making solid money. We have a fix and flip company that, you know, does a few million a year, completely separate from our multifamily stuff, completely separate from our mobile home park stuff, um, completely separate from our syndications, all broke out in the right buckets. Um, good CPAs on board, good bankers, good lawyers. Um, you know, now we're finally and actually a business. And of course, what's going to happen? A recession or whatever, whatever this is. So, you know, we're adopting now and going more into owner finance. 
during this lull. We're taking all the inventory that we don't have crews to go fix and we're owner financing it as is, you know, kind of just a little small pivot to get that inventory cash flowing um, while we get new inventory that has a better chance of flipping, if that makes sense. So some of the stuff we bought is double wides and single wides and stuff that during our previous hot market early 2022 would sell in five minutes to another investor. Other investors, it appears, I don't know about in y'all's market, but they're sitting there going, we're going to wait and see. Mm-hmm. We think there's going to be a crash. Yep. Tons of that. And so they're not buying. So so since they're not buying, I'm just going to take these and owner finance them. If they won't owner finance, we'll, we'll fix them, but then we'll put a tenant in place, refinance it. And, you know, that's kind of our order of operation. Everyone who listens to our show knows Tim and I are passionate about obtaining financial freedom through real estate investing. We also know that everyone's situations and goals are different. And while there are programs out there that show you a path to financial freedom, many of these programs are just too cookie cutter and don't take your personality, situation, and desired outcome into account. Think about the number of times that you've watched a guru online and tried to do the exact same thing as they did, but had nowhere near the same results. You are not alone. When I got started, I was continually paying for courses and getting only partial results until I discovered the path that made sense for me. The results prove this out. Most online course creators have let us in on their dirty secrets that 90 to 95% of their students never complete their course and achieve their desired outcome. This is not something that we're okay with. The benefit of working with Tim and I is that we are interviewing between 5 and 20 people every single week. We have accumulated hundreds of seven-figure strategies and gotten inside scoop from these successful entrepreneurs. We're able to work with you to pick the strategy that will best fit and then help you create the custom plan to take you quickly into financial freedom. As a former math teacher, I always taught my students that the fastest way between two points is a straight line. If you want to get rid of the many curves in the road that can make the journey longer and more costly, then go to coaching.freedomchaserspodcast.com and book a call with us, and let's get you on a straight line path to freedom. Love it. Love the way you're protecting yourself. Yeah, so- yeah. So I was going to say, you mentioned that you have this, this hardcore flipping business. You guys are doing 10 to 15 a month. Um, but we're transitioning now and you're trying to transition to seller financing, which I see a lot of investors doing. Can we talk about like, what is your mindset in, in that avenue? Well, we, we seller financed our first or second home. So seller finance isn't new to us. We did a lot of sub two wraps um, in our early days. We thought that was pure sweet cash flow, um, but you miss out on appreciation. You miss out on, you know, you exchange maintenance for <laughs> missing out on appreciation. And then if you do get the property back, there's all the deferred maintenance waiting on you. So you just get to pay for it all at once. And then you get the appreciation, but, you know, you don't, you don't really, I mean, it, it's kind of weird. You know, we got one that cash flows $80 a month. Well, you know, at the time, that was a tank of fuel or two tanks of fuel. That same $80 is half a tank of fuel now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I can't raise that mortgage, you know? So it, it seemed like a good deal at the time, but it, now it's a waste of time. You know, it, that, that $80 a month's irrelevant. Um, but, you know, um, having that skill set in your back pocket allows you to do something like we're doing now, where there's a ton of buyers still there. They have down payments so we can generate capital. If it really is a stagnant market, there's not going to be a lot of appreciation, especially on a double wide or a single wide in the next year and a half or two years. So it's not like, 
I don't feel like we're missing out on much, but we get a big slug of capital in, move stale inventory, and we don't have to carry that cost for the next six months. We'll wait for a crew to get to it. Um, it's a simple pivot, but you know, it, it makes sense. Um, but it's been a core part of our business. We buy owner finance. Our first mobile home park purchase, we bought it owner finance. So that's something that we learned early on. We learned the owner finance game um, inside and out early on. We bought apartment complexes owner finance. So we go and we buy an apartment complex and the seller's like, yeah, I'll sell them. We're like, well, we don't want to put the money down. So we do a seller second carry. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, absolutely. You know, I just don't want to deal with the tenants anymore. You won't have to. We will. So we put them in an interest-only loan in second position, and then our private money is in first position. We disclose it to everybody so we're not in any fraudulent situation, and we buy it with no money out of pocket. And then we go raise the capital from our friends and family to do the repairs. And we've done that transaction two or three times. So, I mean, we're very creative in all this. We don't try to get into a niche. I see a lot of people back themselves in the corners. Um, and I don't understand it. I guess they, they just, you know, this is all I'm ever going to do is this bucket. And I'm like, I'm going to do whatever makes money in whatever market I'm in, you know, in a, in a, a contracting market and expanding market. You know, I, the reason why we're doing 10 to 15 flips wasn't because we're good at flipping. It was because people would buy anything if you could get it, you know, for the last year and a half. We never did that before. You know, we weren't that aggressive, but we wanted to pay off a lot of debt. So we went and did a bunch of a high volume. Well, right now, I think we own 17 and have another 10 or 15 under contract. And we're slowing down. We're getting picky, not because we think there's a recession, but because it's going to our inventory is going to be with us a little longer. You know, used to you turn that inventory over once a month. Now it's like, you know, so we might only end up doing five or six a month and wholesaling the rest. But we're going to keep our lead gen where it is. We're going to keep our marketing where it is and keep keep our 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 uh, our, our finger on the pulse of what sellers are feeling in the marketplace. Because that's going to tell us whether there's a recession more than the news. You know, when you start having sellers that are like, I lost my job, I got laid off, yada, yada, yada. That's when you know. There's something in, there's blood in the streets, AKA, but right now we're not there. I mean, sellers still think their stuff is worth, you know, more than it was six months ago. They're like, no, you know, real estate's been doubling every six months. Mine's worth twice as much, but it's not realistic. You know, there's not as many buyers in the market. That's exactly right. Tim, what else you got? (laughs) Uh, Great question, man. So we were talking about the wraps before, right? Um, so I know Texas has some very specific rules in regards to wraps. So like, how are you able to pull that off in Texas and being able to maintain compliance and not getting chased down by the Texas Rangers like you were telling me about on the phone the other day? Yeah, so uh, this is not legal advice. I'm not a lawyer. Um, but we had our attorney review the new wrap law in Texas, and it basically took um, the old wrap laws that are in the Texas Real Estate Code and that's it. So they're in the Texas Real Estate Code, which are still laws. They still have teeth, but there's not a really a criminal element in the law, right? There's no criminal element. It's a civil matter. If you do something wrong, you're civilly responsible. Okay, cool. Um, they took that that law and they tied it into the Texas Finance Code. 
and they gave it some criminal elements. So what, what, what brought this on was there was one big guy out in El Paso that went and wrapped a bunch of mortgages and didn't pay the underlying mortgages. And so the bank started foreclosing on the properties and the owners were still making their payments to their mortgage guy, which was the owner finance guy. And it created a lot of pain in the marketplace, gave investors a bad name. Well, there's really nothing they could criminally do to the guy. I mean, he had defrauded a bunch of people. There's elements of the law that they could go after the guy. But, you know, by the time that, that it gets that big, what there's that much pain. There's a lot of families that have been hurt. So to, to keep it from getting that big, they wrote a law that says if you do more than three a year, three owner finances a year, um, three wrap mortgages a year, um, then you fall under the jurisdiction of this new law. And they gave it a lot of teeth. And they gave you some some ways to to uh, you know rectify it, but just imagine, just imagine the they gave the power to the consumer now. So imagine the consumer knows if I raise any stink at all, they're going to investigate, and they're going to come investigate with a fury, you know. And and it gives them all this power. You got to turn over all your records. You got to do all these things. I mean, it's just and it makes you a fiduciary to them. But do you really want anybody being able to do that? Do you want them to have that authority? And so to keep from doing that, what we've done is, I don't know the technical term. We call it cross-collateralization. I don't know if you have ever heard that. But whenever you create a mortgage, um, just like the what, what caused the financial crash, you know, you go create a mortgage, you can sell it on the open market. That, that paper, that note and deed of trust in Texas has value. Well, that's also an asset that people will loan you money against. So if I have, uh, say, Tim in first lien position, and, he, and he's and he got a $100,000 note and deed of trust from me, okay, I owe him a hundred grand, and I sell it to Matt, and he gives me a $150,000 note and deed of trust, so I have a $50,000 equity spread, all I do in that transaction is, I say, Tim, here, sign a lien release, and I'm going to re-collateralize your loan to your 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 uh, collateral is now Matt's note and deed of trust. So if I default and don't pay you, Tim, instead of getting the property back, you get my note and deed of trust and all the things, all the power that it gives you to do that, right? And I avoid that regulation because it's not a wrap. You know, a wrap is a wrap at second lien position, all that. So, you know, I, I, I'm in first lien position now, or Matt's in first lien position now. Tim, you don't have a lien on the property, but you have a legal filing that you're collateralized. Um, and, and we do that. That's how we do it. We do it with private money. We do it with banks. Um, you know, I can't explain it any better than I just did, which confuses a lot of people. But it, it, you know, we ran it by our attorneys. They ran it up the ladder, and it, and it keeps us in compliance. And we don't have to deal with that law. And like I told you, Tim, you know, contract for deed, um, uh, lease, sandwich lease options, all that stuff is legal in Texas. I'm, again, I'm not a lawyer to a certain degree. You know, like I think on the lease options, they give you a set amount of time that you can do that. It's like six months. And then if you structure enough of them together, you can get them for 18 months and yada, yada, yada. And that's all internet rumor. I've never read the law. So I don't, I don't know. 
But uh, in Texas, they just make it really hard to service and stay in compliant. Like, you know, we're a conservative state, so everything's still legal, quote unquote, but you got to do it just so, so. And if you don't, well, you're a criminal now. And so to avoid that, we don't, we don't, we don't do it that way anymore. So interesting. Some laws are so obvious, you know, don't murder anybody. That's obvious why that's a law. And then there's other laws like this, like you can't wrap more than three properties where if you're not aware, you can, you know, wouldn't seem obvious to me that wrapping more than three properties in a state would create a criminal component. I can see why. You can, but you have to do it every single way that they say. And one of the things in the law is that you have to be an RMLO. Hmm. So, so most people get there and they're out of compliance. You know what I mean? The other thing is you got to notify the underlying lien holder and get their permission. They have to give you permission. Well, that, that kills it right there mm-hmm. for most people too. Mm-hmm. So most people will notify, but they won't get permission. You know, it's like, hey, Tim, I'm going to wrap your mortgage. And Tim's like, I'm actually Wells Fargo and thanks for faxing me, but I don't, I don't read my faxes. Yeah. You know what I mean? But I have a fax receipt that says, hey, I notified them, but where's the permission? Right. Yeah, there's no permission granted then. So that's kind of the, the old law was that you had to notify the underlying lien holder, but it didn't say you had to get permission. So, every, you know, you'd be wrapping a Wells Fargo mortgage um, and you'd send them a fax and keep a fax receipt and be like, yeah, I notified them. <laughs> who do, who, like, you know, like, like yeah, that, their preferred communication is fax. If you ever try to communicate with Wells Fargo about anything, they prefer a fax. So we sent them a fax. You know what I mean? It It, it was a silly law, but... It was in the Texas Property Code. It didn't have any criminal teeth to it, right? You know? um, but once it got moved into the Finance Code, it was like, no, we're not, we're not doing this. We're not <laughs> yeah. going to participate. Smart, so, not yeah. worth it. Yeah, not. I mean, uh, but you know, at, another thing is, if you are, if it is your primary residence, it's not applicable in the law either. If it's only land, it's not a part of the law. I mean, they wrote it. Um, you know, it's got a lot of things in there, but um, yeah, we just we just do the cross collateralization and stay away from it. And Ryan's making fun of me because he wants my energy level up, but what he doesn't realize is me, me hearing myself in this. I sound like Barry White. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm like, like man, I don't wear headphones. This is wild. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. I sound, like sound good. Um. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, good. Brother. Now he's killed it where I can't hear myself. Oh, oh, good, man. So, so Corey did really change things up and maybe bring the energy up a little bit. Why don't you just kind of just quickly get, give yourself a little bit of height here yeah. and show us the underneath of the R2R t-shirt here. Yeah. There we go. I was just going to say All the right. same So thing. tell us what, obviously we both <laughs> had a chuckle when, when we saw you come on. So, so why don't you share a little bit about that and what, what that means to you? I, you know, um, I use the pregnant emoji a lot. And people thought it was fat girls, but it's the get her done emoji. And so everybody assumed that I like fat girls and I, I just won't deny it on the internet. I'm like, <laughs> you know, fat girls are fun. Uh, it's like riding a moped, you know, you just don't tell your friends about it. But anyways, I, so I, I made it the marketing headline for a email and got a 67% open rate Jeez, and put it on a shirt after that. Because it really was a phenomenal marketing campaign. And by the way, Ryan, you can turn it back on where I can hear myself. I'll I'll talk loud. So, anyways, yeah, it was a, it was a good time. Like, uh, and and you know, I know y'all are new to 
but if you go to the Roughneck Real Estate face like Facebook group, um, you'll kind of see a little bit. We are we we used to have a lot more fun before Facebook made it less fun. You know, right? Um, I, I'm an I'm an admin, so I get to see the ridiculousness. So that you know, one example: a guy got in trouble the other day by Facebook got a, got a ban because uh, they said, "How do you get rid of bed bugs?" And he said, "Burn the house down." <laughs> You got thirty day ban. It's like that's great advice. You know what I mean? Like the bed bugs will be gone. (laughs) That solves the problem. He's like, he's like the the algorithm is crazy. I'm like, I know the the bots really don't get our jokes. They don't. So I mean, we used to have a lot more fun in there, but now everything you say is read by a bot, and they don't they don't get sarcasm. So, anyways, you can't you can't say a lot of things. Of course. Um, just for perspective, right? You said you got the sixty-seven percent open rate with that email. What is the average open rate for an email, a cold email? Yeah, according to Constant Contact, it was thirteen percent. So, so that's a five x. I mean, increase in five yeah, x with a well, and everybody's afraid of looking some type of way. The biggest obstacle most of people have is they is they lack attention. Um, you know, I'm obviously in a studio right now and last night we're at the Rangers game and, and we're just telling stories and I'm mic'd up the whole time. And I, and then this morning I like woke up in a cold sweat. I was like, Oh my gosh, you know, I was telling stories that the internet is not going to understand, you know? Um, and I was like, hopefully they haven't cut that up and put it on the internet yet because, you know, it, we joke a lot. Um, we have a good time. And at this Rangers game, uh, one of the guys here, his girlfriend was there. And I, I was like, you turned my daughter into a lesbian. My daughter's eight, you know. And she's like, I know I have that effect on women. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, you know. And But people don't get the joke because, you know, they they like my daughter idolizes that girl now. Like she's like got a huge like lady crush on her. And, you know, it's just something that I said that. Um, at the end of the day, I was like, when that hits the internet, it's going to be taken so far out of context. But then on the flip side of it, I was like, well, even if it is, if it gets a lot of attention, it's going to be great. Cause I'm like, you know what, what, like it can go bad, but you know, at the same time, like, you know, it, it, it's, it's wholehearted, it's wholesome. So anyways, that's, that's the way I think about wholehearted, it. Wholehearted, wholesome. I know. Well, it seems like the people that can. Like wholehearted, wholesome, and genuine. Um, Here's the question I have for you. So you're going to the Rangers games mic'd up to create content? You're just talking with your friends, basically, and you're releasing that content? Or what's the goal for that? Yeah, so it's the goal. Well, we're there, but they come because I invite them. So we we don't have uh, season tickets, but we do one game a month in a booth in a uh, in a suite. And we invite our private money, our bankers, our lawyers, our attorneys. And we're just we're just cutting up. I mean, we're just we're having fun. We're telling old stories. Our friends are there. All of our friends and family are whatever. It's and and you know, we're in Texas. It's it takes about two hours to get to the Ranger Stadium from my house. It took two hours to get here today. I've already done four hundred and fifty miles today looking at real estate. So all of that being said, it's something that we do. And and the reason why I'm mic'd up is because according to them, not according to me. They they just want to have the sound bites because every now and then there's something that comes out that you can post on the internet to get more attention because if you can trigger fifty percent of the people in the world you can become president. Uh-huh. Um, and <laughs> For real, that's kind of it. So it's, 
it, it's <laughs> just it. a, it's just a it's just a thing where you know it's like hey we'll we'll put a mic on you we'll record it we'll get some content for future marketing and that that's it but it, but it really i mean we we i mean when if you go consume my content you'll see what i mean it's it we we have a lot of fun i buy a lot of uh methed up trailer houses i walk in i got I, one of the property management um i got attacked by a squatter okay. and anyway i'm in chicago so man that's I, like I, a regular day for me uh, <laughs> yeah like in and I joked, I was like, thank God he was on heroin and not meth. Because yeah, you know yeah, what I mean? Say, like, we we don't have right. the tweakers out here. It's a totally different ball game, man. You go to California, everybody's all wide-eyed and shit. Um, <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. No, I was, like, I, was like, I was like, if he'd have been on meth, he'd have killed yeah. me. You know what I mean? But since right. he was on heroin, I won. Oh, yeah, you know, sleeping. I was like. Yeah. Nodding out, right? Yeah, he, he came Yeah, he came out and he's like, fell asleep at my feet. <laughs> I was like, you know, but he. It, that kind of stuff happens all the time, but a lot of times I'm live on Facebook or I'm, you know what I mean? Like, um, police called one day, said, Hey, and I'd put a bandit sign on your property. He said, do you own this property? I said, yeah. I said, well, we got homeless people down here having sex in it. Do you want us to criminally trespass them? Like, yeah, go ahead. Did you let them finish that? <laughs> like, there you go. He's like, what do you mean? I'm like, well, that's going to be, that's kind of rude. If you, you know what you mean? You just, if they're still doing it, let them I'm wrap it up, let them clean let it up them, a little, hopefully let them get it done. And then, then criminally trespass them. You know what I mean? And let them know that you let them finish. So they, be kind to <laughs> they the get place. three yeah, wraps a year in Texas, right? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. So I'm like, do, do I, I, that those kind of things happen. But, you know, of course I'm talking about that on the internet, like, or getting that call while I'm on the internet. And that, that's the kind of content that, that you want to catch, you know what I mean? You don't want to, you know, you can't remanufacture that. Like, bleep, call, hey, yeah, homeless people are having sex in your house. Whoa, <laughs> like it's that's right. It's good for the internet. So it it's yeah, real life stuff. Yeah, yeah. So what do y'all do? I don't know anything about y'all's business. Do y'all talk about y'all's business at all on this podcast? None on this one, and we're all about you guys and just trying to to provide value to the audience. But we we're pretty similar, Corey. So I have mobile home parks and single family houses that we rent by the room, and a variety of other things. So in we California, have relatively all over. In fact, the only thing I own right now in California is uh, my primary and one investment property. Everything else is out of state. Awesome. What what states? So we have uh, Illinois, where Tim's at. He kind of helped me get into that market. Oklahoma, Ohio, or the other other spots. Awesome, that's good. Uh, I only say that because we're gonna we're gonna share this out to my audience, and I just oh, of course, yeah, y'all, totally. Yeah, they need to know who y'all are, what y'all do, where to find y'all, so they can link up. There's people in our group. We got fifteen thousand people. Um, they're they're from all over the place. So love yeah. it. They'll definitely be able to do business with you. Yeah, that's awesome. Cool. Yeah. Our big thing is, is just about creating freedom and purpose for people. So essentially, you know, what's the fastest way to take the income you're making, whether it's in real estate or not, and create passive income that allows you to do what you want for the rest of your life. Yeah. That's, and, and we're leaning into the same, the same thing. It's like, I want to go find people that work on drilling rigs and tell them to quit buying F-250s and boats and start parking some of that capital into some rent houses. Because if I'd have done that for the 13 years I worked in the oil field, the day I got laid off would have been the best day of my life, not the most worrisome day of my life. I'd been like, what? Finally? Oh, thank God. I'm never going back, which is what happened anyways, but it took seven years to get there. Totally. What about you, Tim? What do you do? Um, so I'm more of a flipper at this point. So, I mean, I've flipped over 100 properties. Um, I also used to do a ton of REOs. 
Um, so, I mean, in managing repairs, I mean, I've done over 200 times. Um, so I'm actually transitioning right now to more of a hold model. I'm not there yet. Um, I also own a brokerage. It's a small brokerage. I bought a franchise last year. We have five agents now, and we're growing that as well. So um, also doing a little bit of wholesaling and other stuff. I mean, always busy um, <laughs> is basically the thing. Um, so we're going pretty heavy into content right now because I think um, um, helping people is just um, one of the most fulfilling things in the world, like number one. And number two, meeting awesome people like you. I mean, this is an awesome networking opportunity, number one. And number two, I mean, I'm learning from people that have already done exactly what I want to do, which is just. So are you are you mainly in Illinois or do you do anywhere? Uh, for right now, mainly Illinois, but I mean, I'm open to anything. Anything? Okay. Yeah. I only do Texas. So you come to me with a banger anywhere that ain't Texas. And I'm like, I don't know y'all's laws. I don't have time to read them. I barely have a loose understanding of ours. Like, you know, I I, I try to stay within what I know. And I know this right now. So. So the guy that you're trying to track down in California, sorry, taking you back to the beginning, beginning in the episode, he owns properties in Texas, I'm guessing. Yeah, he owns a 300 unit. I don't I don't know that it's exactly 300 units. He owns a 300 unit um smaller town and um I I mean, there's a dynamic out there. The savings and loan crisis, have y'all ever studied it? Um essentially they made it where if you were building commercial properties, you could loan yourself money, you could be the construction person, you could be the owner. So if you owned a bank, you could just print 10x the money that you started the bank with and and loan it to yourself to build apartments. Um, So if you look at a lot of that 80s inventory that's in small towns and rural towns, you're like, why is that built here? You know, there's not been an economic event happen that this deserves a 300 unit apartment complex. But then you go back to what they could do during savings and loan. And it was like, I, I can make money on the construction. I can make money all along the way, I don't have to make money on the real estate, which is why it popped and crashed. But anyways, that, that inventory has changed hands. Um, it's either changing hands now. It's like the great handoff of real estate from when the bubble happened. Yeah, that generation that bought it at, when it was an REO property at that moment in time is now in their 70s and 80s, and they're, they're, they're liquidating it. And their biggest, biggest, absolute um, biggest thing about it is you know, what's my cost basis? How much income tax am I going to have to pay? And it's a crazy way to sell a property, but they're giving you so much equity just by not wanting to pay the tax man. Um, so we identified that smaller multifamily. It's really easy to find those sellers. They're, you know, 20, 30 units. We picked, we picked up a 20 unit for 680,000. We picked up 57 units for 800,000. We picked up 32 units for 200,000. You get the, you get the, the gist, but we wanted to go bigger. And when I drove past this, I was like, man, that's a good asset. Let me drive through it. I went through it. Harvey hit it um, pretty hard. They collected the insurance and didn't do the repairs. So they've got a bunch of down buildings, a bunch of 16 unit buildings that they just boarded up. Um, So I dug into it a little more. The last time they refinanced it, 2004. So, I mean, they're in a position to be able to pass some sweat equity on to me should they want to it doesn't appear they want to because we get them on the phone they're like oh we don't own that we're like oh yeah you do. oh yeah you do we know you do but like because because we catch them we're like hey look we, we really we got we got something we think you need to know about this property and they're like yeah what's that and we're like oh well this and this and this and they're like oh okay well 
we don't own that though. And I'm like, well, why'd you want to know? <laughs> why'd you want the skinny that I had? You know? So anyways, um, so we drove out to their winery. Um, they shut it down, uh, during COVID. We understand that they live in Florida now. Um, so we drive out there, you know what I mean? Like we just keep, we're, we're going to keep, keep, we're going to stay on their trail. Like we're going to let them know because we also own a property management company. So, um, we can manage that property. Even if they want to keep it, we can add value to their lives and they'll add value to ours because it really is mismanaged right now. And, and so I'll, I'll stay with them. I lo- I missed out on a deal, uh, 232 units. Um, I missed out on it and it was $12 million and it's been eating at me. It bothers me. It wakes me up in the middle of the night. And so, you know, with this 300 units, I'm going to stay in, in there. Yeah. I'm going to stay with them. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to, I'm not going to have any regrets when it comes to the end of this one. The other one, I was a little more passive. I would rather lose it being aggressive than I had, you know, sleep on it a little bit. And, you know, so they, they won't do business with me. They'll do business with Tim and you know what I mean? <laughs> Tim can respond yep. it to me. Yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> like, totally. So we, we'll figure Just out a way. Bring a different personality. Yeah. yeah like we'll, we'll figure out, we'll figure out, but they, they like us. I mean, they, they, you know, they're, they're in their eighties, nineties. Um, they appreciate, you know, people half their tenacity. age. Yeah. Tenacity. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's stuff that's missing out of this generation that, you know what I mean? When you're pursuing something vigorously, you know, eventually they'll be like, dang, you know, this, these guys, they, they really earned it, you know? And, uh, so anyways, we're gonna stay with them. Without a doubt. I mean, you have entrenched yourself as somebody with tenacity. Um, we've asked you like about difficult experiences like three or four times too. And you're like, Oh no, nothing difficult about it. And then just a couple seconds later, um, I mean, I guess a baby was murdered. Um, we ran out of money completely at this point. And you talk about all these challenges, but like your mindset is 100% on point because you're just like, you know what? Any challenge I face is something I could solve. Like, were you just always that way? <laughs> Cause I mean, it's just really impressive. Yeah. Uh, that's what you when you're laying around in an RV thinking about what what's what's the difference between a certain person, you know what I mean, one person or the next, like why does one person have success and another person file, find failure in the exact same situation? You know, it's just one of those things. Like I don't know what it is. Um, my baby mama is, you know, baby mama number two. She's like, you got mama issues. I'm like, well, maybe that's it. Maybe other people need mama issues. You know what I mean? Like I don't know. Like like throw a label on it. Label it however you want. We still got to get up and go do it tomorrow. You know what I mean? Like whatever it's going to take is still going to be what it takes tomorrow. Um, you, you, you get around a lot of business people and they're like, you should hire that out. I looked at four properties today when, when, so it was like, we were trying to set a time up for this and y'all said four. And I was like, dang, what am I going to do that morning? You know what I mean? Like it, I instantly figured out my day and I was like, oh, we got clear title on these four properties and we haven't seen them yet. I will personally drive and look at those cause they're in the neighborhood. And by in the neighborhood, I mean a hundred mile radius east of here. And so I woke up this morning. I drove those properties. I looked at them. I put them in our in our in our teams. I vetoed one. I said, "There's they could pay us money, and we're not buying this. So just tell them, sorry, <laughs> you know, we're not closing. Get that one off the board." Um, but the other ones I'm in love with. One of them were I'm going to try to build storage units. I have no idea how to build storage units, but I'm like, we're buying a a house on six acres and I already have a buyer for the house and one acre. So I'm going to take the other five acres free and clear. And I'm going to go get an SBA loan and build storage units. I've been wanting to do that 
for a long time. You ask about the tenacity. I have no idea what I've run the numbers on it. I can build it for 1.5 at an eight cap. It'll be worth 3.1, 80% occupied. I'm ready. You know what I mean? I'm ready for that double, but I don't know how to do it. I don't know the first step. I don't know anything about it other than today. I had lunch with the contractor that's going to build it. And I'm like, let, you know, give me a price per square foot. I'll turn key. He's like $24 a square foot. I'm like, great. You got $30 a square foot. <laughs> Let's go. You know, that's, that's it. And I run the numbers on it and he's like, man, we can do a lot with $30 a square foot. And I'm like, let's do it then. You know what I mean? Like, cause you know, who's, who's going to be your engineer? What's the, what's the next step? When you, know, you got to find an engineering firm, draw your plans, take them to the city. Gotta, what's our timeline? What's our holding costs? What's all this going to be? And I'm already just calculating my head. I'm like, cool. I'm going to sell that house. I'm going to get all the debt off the property by selling that house. And then, and then we'll have the eight months it's going to take to break ground because we won't have any holding costs other than taxes, you know? So it, that's just kind of how, how it works out. And, and, you know, and maybe it's tenacity. I don't know what it is. I just know that yeah. fearlessness, if not if nothing else. Yeah. Yeah. Well, in the, in the risk and there is risk, but, but we also had a guy that came to us, you know, it's just kind of how everything lines up. A guy comes to us and says, Hey, look, I'm about to sell my ranch. I'm going to need something. And, and, you know, it's like the money's lined up in there and we're going to get not, we're, we're going to get probably 20 or 30% of the equity. So it's not going to be our whole deal, but I'm like, this is great. This is going to be a great learning experience. You know, at the end of it, um, worst case scenario is, you know, it's got less equity than what we think, or I'm running a flea market out of it. You know what I mean? I'm already to the point where all this, the storage unit won't, won't rent. So I'm over there selling watermelons out of it every Saturday. You know what I mean? I've got the, the, the neighborhood swapping shop there and that's how we make it cash flow. It's like how, how, how far down the hole can we get, you know, before it becomes not a deal, but it, it's on a four lane highway. It's 10,000 cars a day. Um, it's a tremendous, there's not a other storage unit within two miles. Um, population density is there. You know, all the things that I learned listening to podcasts like yours, you know, it checks all these boxes and it's at a prime intersection. I'm like, I'll never get this piece of real estate for $180,000 again in my life. So I've got to do highest and best use that I can afford. A convenience store might work better, but I don't know that. I don't know storage units either, but they're cheap enough. I can build them for $30 a square foot. So let, let's see if we can make it work. But I, Tim, I mean, what, you've got to be fearless too. Y'all gotta have. Y'all oh. gotta be fearless. Well, I mean, I mean, oh, yeah. definitely. <laughs> I mean, I would say almost everybody that we interview has some sort of mindset there, um, where they just do whatever it takes, right? Like, if I was going to take one consistent thing, like what we get from the successful people, I think one of them said this quote. He was like, "What's the difference between Will Smith and anybody else?" He's like, "If you throw me on a treadmill next to you, he's like, I will die before I get off the treadmill." And I think that's really the mentality that a lot of people in real estate that are successful—they're just like, "I'm not going to give up." And like you, so many people that we talked to, like we talked about them house hacking. Like, like I bought a house, but I had to rent it out to somebody else so I could make money. <laughs> so. I mean, it's just like the struggle is just part of this game, man. You got to plow through it. Just like you said, every challenge that comes is an opportunity to learn and grow and just get next, get to the next level, man. That's what it's all about. Yeah. And, and real estate is, a, it, it, it really is a simple business when it comes down to like the nuts and bolts of it. It's so simple. 
I mean, it, people make it try to make it hard, but it's really easy. Um, if you could put a renter in there and you take it to the lowest amount that you can maintain it. And where are you at deferred maintenance wise? How many, what's the lifespan of the roof and where do you live? Cause in Texas, you'll never have to replace that roof. The insurance company will 100% of the time replace that roof for you because it's going to hell. Just know that you're going to get ice falling from the sky and you're going to get a new roof. Not saying discount it, know what it's going to cost, but you know, where you're at on the AC, what, what, what's the plumbing. And if those three components, everything else, I mean, I've listened to all the books where they break it down to a cost per month. You know, they take it all the way down to like, oh, you know, I'm putting back $47 a month for AC, flooring, paint, this and that. And I'm like, that's a that's a great deal. But like if I'm going in front side, I know I'm going to put all these things on and get 10 years. If I can get a 10-year run, what would that appreciate in 10 years? Even if I bought in 2022 spring, in 2032 – you're going to be a, a lot – inflation is going to do the work for you. It, it's, it's, But most people don't look at it for a 10-year hold. They look at it for a three-year hold. You know what I mean? I'm not optimistic over the next three years either. But 10 years, it's going to be hard to imagine a world that exists where money isn't worth less, which means assets are worth more. And that's really totally. it. It just depends on the game you're playing. Like we talk about this in Go Abundance all the time. You know, essentially the idea of are you playing an infinite game? Are you playing a long-term game? Or are you playing a short-term game? And the long-term game cures almost all the problems. An infinite game cures everything. True. I mean, look at look at the real estate. I mean, I'm looking at real estate that was built in the 40s. And it's still got the same plumbing, the original plumbing. You know what I mean? No. Other people be like, oh, well, they don't build it like you used to. That's cast iron, brother. <laughs> like, it's not good plumbing. It's the worst plumbing. Like, you know, it's not good plumbing, but it still services. It still does fine. Like, you know, um, so, yeah, that's that's uh, it, it. I think people get too caught up, you know, when they're when they're looking at real estate. Like, I don't want to deal with tenants. I don't want to deal with maintenance. I don't want to deal with this. I'm like, you, you don't deal with it that often. You know, you deal with the maintenance on the front side when you buy it or you deal with it every single month. You get to choose. So do it on the front side. If you don't want to deal with it, take care of it. You know what I mean? Um, and then from there, the tenants, you know what I mean? Like I would, I, you know, I'd rather have tenant problems than no tenant problems because vacancies are my biggest expense. You know what I mean? There ain't been a thing that a tenant's done to a property other than move out of it that, you know what I mean, hurts. Like I, we got tenants that have been in our properties that we bought in 2015 that are still there have paid every month, never missed. I'll focus on them, the the three that become problems, and I'm not worried about them. So what, what's your goal the next 12, 18 months? Uh, you know, it's hard to project right now. Be going that far out is real hard for me at this moment. I feel like, you know, COVID, we had that COVID pause, and uh, when we had that COVID pause, it was like, um, you know, non-essential workers could go outside and play, so... I picked up a lawnmower and a weed eater and chainsaw and started trimming trees and, you know, paying myself money that I would have paid a contractor um, during that time so I could go outside <laughs> and play. You know what I mean? I was like, I'm a, I'm now essential, baby. Look at me. I'm out here on a lawnmower. <laughs> like these lawnmowers, they yeah. don't get laid off. So anyways, I, I that's what I did then. And then, and then it rebounded and it came so 
far up. You know what I mean? That at the beginning of COVID, you didn't think you were ever going to flip another property. I was like, well, that income stream's gone. <laughs> you know, and right now it it's got that COVID pause, but you know, instead of waiting like we did during COVID, where we kind of set back a little bit. I mean, we kept marketing, we kept trying, but um, we 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 bathed in the uncertainty way too much. We listened to it way too much. I'm kind of tuning it out now, and I'm 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 listening to the market. So the market is a little stagnant. Um, so we're switching to owner finance. Um, I, I put together a goal of wholesaling five a month. So if we if we wholesale five a month, that covers all of our personal salaries and personal needs. So five wholesales a month covers all of our marketing, covers everything, and we get all get a pretty good paycheck. So it, you know, where do I wholesale those five to? Well. Um, People that have jobs, not people that are in real estate, but the people that have jobs that are worried about losing their job. I'm like, hey, while you have a W-2, why don't you take on and buy some of these rentals, you know, um, buy some rentals, secure a little cash flow, a little future retirement. You know what I mean? You can flip a couple if you feel like it and, you know, but we're going to assign them to you and we'll hold your hand. So we're kind of going into that model a little bit. So hopefully in 18 months, um, the one big goal I have is get that 300 unit either under property management or um, get it, get it lined out for an agreement for purchase. Um, And that's really my big goal. But, you know, other than that, it's just, you know, pay attention, look at my boards, look at my cash position and, uh, and, and, and make quick decisive decisions that, that get us in a, in the place we need to go. And if it all goes to hell, I guess I'll go get a job on a drilling rig. I don't know. You know what I mean? Like, like okay, well, oil is uh, or gas is still five dollars a gallon. I, they're hiring out there. I would just go get a job out there, and we'll come back to real estate whenever uh, whenever it comes back around. Yeah, but I don't, I don't, I don't, I just don't anticipate the big fall off that everybody is hoping for to get a better deal. I just don't anticipate it. No, not, like, and people that get into that dynamic, it's like. Um, I read a book like about the five stock market crashes and there's always a big vehicle in that economy. Um, I think the one in the eighties was the short sell that kind of, it, it, it created that thing that happened in the eighties. Um, and, in the 2008 crash, it was mortgage backed securities and whatever that, that, that insurance product was. Um, but that product's not in, not in this. They printed six trillion dollars. That's what happened. It's now working its way through. That six trillion dollars is still going to exist forever. So everybody that's like this inflation is going to go. It's not. This is just the new price of stuff. Labor costs more. Materials cost more. Replacement costs cost more. So your real estate naturally has to be has to hold its value. Plus, our immigration policies are insane. So even though our replacement rate of breeding isn't up to snuff, I mean, we're basically one for one, but as the boomers start dying at a faster rate, you know, we've got this crazy immigration policy where we get a couple of million extra bodies a year. Now, how does that transfer into into households? I don't know yet. Um, During a bad economy, you'll get fewer households, so they'll kind of contract, but we don't have enough inventory as it is. So, um, you know, in 2007, 2008, they were building houses like crazy. And we had too much inventory. 
I don't, I don't, I'm not the person that counts the inventory, so I don't know how much inventory we actually have nationwide, but I hear that it's not enough. You know what I mean? Can you imagine that job? (laughs) Counting all the houses. And, and and builders and builders only have one exit. You know, the people that that are building to rent are still building. The, The builders that are building to sell have backed off, you know, and started reaching out to agents offering these crazy commissions. So the inventory crisis isn't going to sort itself out anytime soon either. Um, so, you know, it, if we do have a shrinkage of households, which I was reading some data on that the other day, and, and it is factual. Like if I got laid off my job, I would call Tim up, say, Tim, let me move in, bro. I ain't got no job. I'm going to, I'm not going to rent this place no more. But what does that put pressure on? It puts pressure on affordable housing. It, you know, maybe the, the, the big, nice apartments or houses or something suffers, but affordable housing is still going to have more pressure on it. So, you know, I'm, I'm. I'm all over the place in this little speech I just gave, but um, ultimately trying to project 12 or 18 months right now is that I don't have that kind of crystal ball, you know? Um, but, but to summarize though, it sounds like you're going to get smarter by using less of your own cash to purchase properties. You're going to condense your per, your purchases more into the more affordable housing. Since you see that as being a likely trend that, even if the market goes crazy in the negative direction, you're going to be more fortified there. So it seems like more or less that's kind of the direction. It seems like you're going to keep purchasing no matter what, but that's going to be more of the direction. But that's always been ours. I mean, if we buy $30,000 mobile homes, rent them out for $1,200 a month, that's our model. That's it. You know what I mean? Um, they appreciate. They don't appreciate at the same rate a 3-2 brick does. They appreciate, you know? And affordable housing is affordable housing. I've got room to soften my rents. There's a lot of people that don't. Um, so ultimately the biggest, you know, there, there are things in our own business as far as like cash flow situations where we need to hire more people. We don't have the, the free cash flow to do it yet. And that's kind of a, you know, that's where our pain is. It's like, how do I, how do I squeeze another three grand a month out of property management so I can hire one more person? You know what I mean? Just to do admin roles, just a part-time person to do admin roles. Those are the little problems, the little micro problems um, that, you know, if I could do that next month, I'd be like, man, that's, that's a good one. But 12 or 18 months, it's like, you know, we've shored up everything we need to shore up to take this on. Um, we had one private money lender. He's getting paid off on our apartment refi. It's $980,000, so a million bucks. And he was going to leave it in. And he's like, no, I'm going to, I'm going to hang on to it. And he's hanging on to it because he wants to buy the dip in the stock market or, you know what I mean? Like he's, he's like, man, if I had this 980, this dry powder, I could go get me a, a deal. I could, I could, I could bang something out. And I, I, don't, I don't begrudge him for that, but that'll be what affects our business. That'll be, you know, if the, if the noise keeps winning, um, you know, then people will kind of want to sit and wait and see if an opportunity arises. And that's the people we get our money from. Um, so, you know, and banks, ultimately banks drive the whole thing anyways, as long as banks stay lending. One thing we are doing over, you know, not, I mean, right now in our current economy is we're reaching out to all the banks we borrow money from and we're letting them know, hey, we got this property management company. Hey, and anything you take back, do you think you're going to have to take back? You just let us know. You won't have to take those assets onto your books. But if you do take back some assets, we have a property management company and we can help you out. So, you know, that right there, just having those conversations with the bank got us a 24 unit apartment complex 
and when we're in negotiations on that right now, that's where we were going to put the 980 that the guy pulled out. You know, it's like, like, oh. <laughs> you got to go get yourself 980 more. Yeah. yeah. So now we need 980. So if anybody out there wants, you know, to, to, to come in 980, 12% interest only, um, you know, but we might end up having to do that in a syndication. I didn't want to because the equity is there on, you know, that we already have the equity. We don't have to go buy equity. This property is probably worth 1.5 and we can get it for a mill. You know, so it's got built in equity, not a lot, but you know, you're in California. So that's like a single family house, but I mean, it's 24 unit apartment complex in a certain town and and I want it. I had an opportunity to buy it when it was 700,000 and I didn't. And so I want it. It's personal now. Um, I love it. My daughter will own it. You know what I mean? But at the same time, you know, it's like, we're going to put that, we're, you know, we're going to put that LOI together probably right after this podcast and get it accepted. And then we'll go figure out the 980. I don't need the 980 until I have a contract signed. So we'll figure it out. We'll get it. Fantastic stuff. So you have a group with 15,000 people. I'm assuming if someone loved this episode and wanted to connect with you, is it best to connect with you in that group or yes, what would be rough, the best way? Yeah. The Rough Nectar Real Estate Facebook group will be where we're at. Um, we have a little event uh, that, I'm speaking at, I got invited to, I'm out in Florida in Fort Lauderdale at the end of the month. Um, in August, this is August of 2020. Um, yeah. And then we rented an Airbnb. And so we're all going to be staying at the Airbnb. I've passed the cost of the Airbnb on to anybody that wants to come stay with us at the Airbnb. Um, but if it just ends up being me and the guys that work with us then that'll be it, but we have that opportunity too, but this event's going to be, you know, I, I love going to those type. Do y'all do any events? Do y'all go to any events? Yeah, I I love I. This this is going to be a great event. It's going to be about land flipping, um, something that we've done a lot of. Um, but you know the infill lot game that that the newbies are playing right now. Jesus, it's so much money. They're buying infill lots for a couple hundred bucks and selling them for thirty forty thousand. I mean, just as fast as they can. So, yeah, it's like that, you know, I, I'm, I'm just, I'm just excited to be around those people. You know what I mean? I'm like, Hey, I, I don't, I don't play that game, but I want to hear about it. You know what I mean? I want to know, I want to know how you're doing it. You know, I, I don't play it yet, but it don't mean I can't get good at it, you know? So I, but I don't, I don't have the courage to buy land in the city yet in the big cities. Um, Cause I can't make it cash flow. You know, I can owner finance any piece of property in rural America uh, for a price. I can't do that with an infill lot. I feel like maybe there is an opportunity there, but, you know, what they're doing with the builders and all that is a really phenomenal um, skill set that I want to learn more about. Yeah. Do y'all do, do y'all do any of that or y'all have heard of it? We have had three guests that have done it. So if you want connections, let me know. Yeah, no, that it's, it really is a phenomenal um, thing. Yeah, for sure. Um Corey, you guys do hard money lending too. I know we have we've already gotten into the property management thing, but I do want to make sure you have um platform for the hard money lending as well. So let's talk about that for a second. Yeah. Well, a uh, um, friend of mine owns a hard hard money lending company, and it's based out of Texas. So we do Texas hard money, but we can do all your you know rental refis and stuff anywhere in the United States. But it's uh, JetLending.com, and you just find Roughneck Real Estate on their website and. Dude, I'm, I've got a lot of leeway um, within that lending. So 
if it's a trailer house, if it's land, if it's something you couldn't get lending on before with other hard money lenders, run it through us. Um, if I tell the, the owners of Jet, if it goes bad, I'll buy it, it's pretty much we're going to do the loan. So, yeah, it's really good. Matt's on here twice now. Matt duplicated himself. Yeah, we got two Matt's. Yep. All good, brother. Um, so, Corey, if the audience wants to reach out to you, the Roughneck to Real Estate Group is the best way. I think we already did that, didn't we? We'll edit that out. <laughs> yeah, find me on Instagram, TikTok, whatever. We're, we're everywhere. We're everywhere people are. I'm, I'm on Truth Social. I don't even know what that is. Just is. I'm just truthing out there. I'm on Twitter. I don't tweet, but I follow OJ. Do y'all follow OJ on Twitter? I, I think I need to now. Um, <laughs> that's, that's, that's hilarious. I'm not on Twitter. Um, I have a Twitter. Or we have one for the show, rather. Um, but, I mean, it's mostly for marketing purposes and stuff. I mean, basically all social media for me is marketing purposes, essentially. I mean, I do have a little bit of fun. But, I mean, I don't, I don't just do it to hang out. Like, it's all for work. Dude, go, go follow OJ Simpson on Twitter. And then watch his videos. You'll love me for it. And then go to the comment section right afterwards and hear the internet. Let the internet roar. It's you'll love it. You'll love it. It's it, it really is. I, I'm. It's great. It's greatness. But that's only. Re- I have Twitter for the same reason. I'm like, oh, I just want to market on here. But then every time I get on it, I end up just watching videos. I'm like, I can't. Well, see, that's the thing. Well, that's the thing. Like, I don't even have it on my phone because I don't even want that distraction in my life. I just tell my assistant, I'm like, post this on this date. Um, <laughs> so cool, brother. I mean, this has been absolutely fantastic. Um, we want to sincerely thank you for coming on our show and giving us a life in your business, Corey. And to everyone else out there chasing freedom, freedom is acquired one action at a time. If you do nothing else, just write down one action that you got from today and make sure to implement that in the next seven days. And please, for the love of God, share it with somebody you know that can hold you accountable. And before you know it, you too will be living a life of freedom. Thank you again for tuning into today's episode and we will catch you on the next one. Please like, comment, share, and subscribe. Engagement is like gold to us. We can't do what we're doing without it. Reviews and subscriptions, particularly on Apple, Spotify, and YouTube, are worth more than money. So please do what you can to support the show. 